Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. Remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Cully Stimson. He is a widely recognized expert in national security, homeland security, and crime control, drug policy, and immigration. He is the deputy director of the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies, manager of the National Security Law Program, and senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation and third-generation naval officer. So, Cully, before we get started, thank you for your service. Well, thank you for saying that. It was a wonderful ride. You know, I, I looked at all the things that you oversee, and I don't know how you can focus on any one of them because they all seem like they're on fire at the same time. Well, uh, there are a lot of things going on in the world, uh, but the thing I've been focusing on a lot in the last two years is the rogue prosecutor, what the left calls the progressive prosecutor uh, phenomenon, because I was a local, state, and federal prosecutor for you know, on and about the last 30 years. And so I know a little bit about the criminal justice system. And this movement is really scary and it's having disastrous results. Well, and you know, I noticed the article that you just put out not too long ago. It's not just rising crime, right? As you mentioned, it's rogue prosecutors are a huge problem. And, you know, it's almost like a who, if you want to see which cities are having the worst crime statistically in generations or decades or maybe ever, all you have to look at is who are the prosecutors, right? Whether it's LA, Chicago, New York, Philly, Baltimore, San Francisco. I mean, you could go on and on and on. And it really is a train wreck, isn't it? It is. And the um, this uh, terrible trio of defund the police, demoralize the police, and then the election of these Soros-backed or inspired rogue prosecutors um, has produced explosive crime rates in the cities you mentioned. Uh, And don't fall for the narrative that crime is rising all the way across the United States. It's not rising in cities, uh, especially in cities that don't have rogue prosecutors. Or if it is rising, it's very small. But the rogue prosecutor cities, uh, it's it's a a combat zone in some of those cities. It's, It's so bad. Well, and as we were talking about before, right, I mean, we're seeing some of these like uh, George Gascon in L.A., right? There's recall efforts to get them underway. You know, Mosby's been indicted by a federal grand jury for lying uh, in Baltimore. So, you know, there's a there are things happening to try to get them out of there, but there's still way more that needs to be done, right? There is. Uh, and I think it really helps because most people don't really understand the role of the prosecutor or what these people are doing that is so bad to sort of walk people through the reality of why what they're doing is pro-criminal and anti-victim. And of course, the criminal justice system in our country is an adversarial system. You have a good, honest, ethical, hard-charging prosecutor against a good, honest, hard-charging criminal defense attorney and a neutral and detached judge and a jury of your peers, and that's the way the system's supposed to work. But of course, the rogue prosecutor is essentially a pro-criminal criminal defense attorney, and so they just don't do their job, and that's why crime rises in their cities. You know, I'm looking at a headline that I just saw today, and you've probably heard about it, right? There was a black male suspect that has been arrested for a brutal stabbing murder of an Asian American woman in New York City, and it turns out this guy named Nash 
right, is a career criminal who was released from jail for another assault case, allegedly stalking someone else. And so this is, uh, you know, another prosecutor named Bragg in New York City, right? It, it's scary to walk into the city and people don't feel safe, and rightfully so. Right. So this Alvin Bragg is the newly elected DA in Manhattan. And he, uh, like all of these, are either got money directly or indirectly from Soros uh, or his PACs, his political action committees. Uh, and like all these rogue prosecutors, they have to operate from the rogue prosecutor playbook, which means you never ask for bail, no matter how bad the person is. So if they get arrested at all, they get let out the day they are arrested. Uh, they water down most felonies like burglary, robbery, commercial burglary, residential burglary to a slap on the wrist misdemeanor, which is probation eligible. They refuse to prosecute entire categories of misdemeanors, just refuse outright. And then even if you're convicted of the most heinous crimes, rip, triple, quadruple murder, uh, you name it, he forces his prosecutors in, in New York, Alvin Bragg does, to not ask for more than 20 years in jail. Uh, and the list goes on and on. George Gascon's policies are even more dangerous. And so the criminals are laughing. Uh, they run the cities. Uh, and they know they have the DA wrapped around their finger. And, of course, the people that these rogue prosecutors care to pretend to care about the most, minorities, are the ones suffering the most under the brunt of their pro-criminal policies. It's just, you know, it's a amazing that people can even think that this makes any sense whatsoever. Um, but, you know, you mentioned, you know, there's defund the police, right? There's, you know, no support for the police. I read just the other day that, you know, over the last year, there's been 73 murders of policemen, which is almost double what it was the year before. I listened to, uh, I read an interview from the police chief in Denver who said, he is 170 officers short. I talked to a friend of mine who's in the police force, and he said people are retiring right and left. They want no part of it because they get no support. So this is really the perfect storm. Right. I watched that interview uh, with that gentleman, and he said, which was shocking to me, that the size of the police force in Denver, of course, which has grown population-wise exponentially, is the size it was in the 80s. I mean, it's amazing. And so when I talk about the policies that demoralize the police, these rogue prosecutors, they don't charge people for resisting arrest. In other words, you're allowed to resist arrest. The, the uh, rogue prosecutor in Boston, uh, Rachel Rollins, she listed 15 crimes you can commit in Boston on her website, and she's the elected DA. It included, of course, resisting arrest, most traffic infractions, drug offenses. You could possess drugs with intent to distribute any drug. They're never going to charge you. Breaking and entering a house. And so do you think the police who know what the crimes are on the books, who arrest people, and then the DA says, yeah, no, no I'm not prosecuting people, uh, so forget about it. It's completely demoralizing the police, and it also puts them in danger. And that's why you see so many police officers murdered. Um, executed by these criminals out there because the criminals are running the cities in these rogue prosecutor cities. Yeah, I mean, it really is sad. You know, it's such a noble profession. It's such a needed profession to be a police officer and to have no support. And to think you're going out there to just so somebody can go through a revolving door. 
no wonder people are retiring. And, you know, it's funny, you get states like South Dakota and Florida where the governor stand up and say, hey, come here. We'll, we'll take police officers where we'll give you guys some support. It really is, you know, and these guys, you know, they spent their whole career doing this. It's probably a generational thing, right? Their fathers and likely all likelihood were police officers. It really is uh, a tragedy what we're doing to the law enforcement community for just a few things that have happened where we've morphed it into, you know, all police are racist. Right. Well, the rogue prosecutor movement uh, operates under a belief, a misbelief that the entire criminal justice system is systemically racist, of course it isn't. Uh, And that the only way to fix it is to fundamentally reverse engineer and destroy the existing criminal justice system, which is hogwash. And so their policies, every single one of them, uh, you can read about their policies because we've written a blog at the Daily Signal on each of these main rogue prosecutors. uh, And we have a longer paper explaining why and the funding and Etc. Um, they, they, you cannot find one of their policies, not one, that's pro-victim. Not one. Um, and so, and so, you know, you can imagine what it would be like to be a police officer when the mayor in many of these cities are against you and calling for you to be defunded. The prosecutor in your city is not going to file any charges. And what do you think the criminals do? They scoff at you. If you try to arrest them, they can beat you. They can shoot at you. Uh, And these cases will get watered down to nothing or not even be filed. And so what is the incentive to become a police officer? Nothing. And so what's happening is in a lot of these big cities, cops are leaving in droves or they're moving to counties nearby where police and law enforcement are respected. And we have a big country and there's a lot of counties out there. And so uh, you know, people are moving to cities or states uh, or counties where law enforcement is respected. Here in the D- greater D.C. area, you see people leaving the D.C. Police Department, uh, the Arlington County Police Department, that's Virginia, uh, the Fairfax County, Virginia Police Department. And they're moving over to Frederick County in Maryland, 45 minutes away, because that county respects the police and the people in that county respect the police. And that's what's happening. Well, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, no, every, anybody in that situation would do the same thing. And just, you know, for people who are listening who think, oh, you know, you know, it's not that bad. Well, if you think about Daryl Brooks was a great example in Waukesha, right? He ran mm-hmm. down children and grandmothers in a Christmas parade. And he was one of those ones that I, I don't know if it was low or no bail who got out, who was a career criminal. And you just see, you know, you you reap what you sow. Well, there's a rogue prosecutor in Philadelphia, and we could tell stories of the entire program times 10. Yeah. Uh, the rogue prosecutor in Philadelphia is a guy named Larry Krasner. He's a career criminal defense attorney. I like criminal defense attorneys. I was a criminal defense attorney. I was good at it. But when I was a prosecutor, I acted like a prosecutor. Uh, Larry Krasner uh, became the DA with Soros money. There was a career felon, a violent felon, uh, who had been arrested, had an open warrant for murder. And he had a drug case there in Philadelphia. They let him out on bail, even though there was an open warrant for his murder. When the police roll up on him a few days later to arrest him for something else, another warrant, he shoots and kills a police officer. And so these stories are not uncommon, unfortunately. These stories are very common. Last year in Philadelphia, 
you got a rogue prosecutor, 500, over 550 murders, homicides, most of whom are black people. Same size city, 3,000 miles away in San Diego, uh, same size county. Uh, you have a traditional independent law and order prosecutor named Summer Steffen, uh, who's pro-victim. You had uh, under 50 murders. Ten times more murders in Philadelphia than San Diego. The only difference is one's a rogue prosecutor and one is a real prosecutor. Well, so much for the city of brotherly love. And I actually grew up out there, so I, you know, it was never the safest place in the world, but it's really gone downhill in a hurry. And, you know, you look at even on the national scale, right? We don't blame the criminals. Now we're blaming guns and people, you know, law-abiding citizens who have guns, right? We're going to go after them because... Obviously, it's the gun's fault. It's not the people's fault who pull the triggers on these things. Yeah, well, like I said on a few TV networks recently, um, you know, this whole debate about guns, like when the president went to New York to talk to the newly elected mayor, who seems to be a reasonable person because he's an ex-cop, about the flow of guns into New York City, that's a red herring. I've never seen a gun hop out of my gun safe or a desk or a table and jump up and shoot anybody. I, I mean, maybe I'm missing it, but I've never seen that happen. But it's easy to focus on the guns because it's an inanimate object. Uh, so is a hammer, by the way. So is a stun gun. So is an axe. So is a mm-hmm. sledgehammer, with a lot of these people are using for these uh, in-store robberies and burglaries and larcenies. Uh, but it's much harder to focus on the criminal. And call them what they are, criminals who are committing criminal acts, and they need to be held accountable. So it's a lot easier to talk about the uh, ethereal gun problem instead of dealing with what to do really to do with criminals. And, and a lot of these violent criminals need to go to a jail or prison for a long period of time, and somebody has to say it, and that's what has to happen. Yeah, I mean, in the end, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I've never seen my guns try to escape out of my safe you know, banging on it, say, let me free. Um, it makes no sense. But, you know, if you if you listen to, you know, the national media, it's almost like they're questioning you. Are you going to believe what you see or what I tell you? And at some point, if it quacks like a duck and looks like a duck, it's a duck. And we need to be able to see things as clearly as we should, because it's not that hard. But People who do bad things need to be locked up to protect people like you and me and every and every other common citizen, because if not, then you're going to have people try to take things into their own hands. And rightfully so, because who else is going to protect them? Right. Right. And there is a thing called the Second Amendment and the Supreme Court has ruled in the Heller and the McDonald case that we have an individual right to keep and bear arms to protect ourselves. And uh, that is a fundamental right. Uh, that we all enjoy here in the United States. But there's another aspect, uh, and, and let me let me put on my Roman Catholic hat for a moment, who was proudly sure. adopted through Catholic Charities, by the way. Great. As I mentioned to you before we went on the show, yeah. um, the rogue prosecutor movement is really cruel uh, because, you know, as, as Christians, I think we all believe uh, that here on earth, uh, people we believe in the fundamental power of transformation. People work hard and repent and try to make themselves better. And so the criminal justice system, which is spread around, you know, thousands of counties around the United States, 
uh, has been reforming itself for decades. And we've created alternatives to incarceration and programs that work like drug courts and domestic violence courts and family justice centers and thousands and thousands of programs that are diversions from prosecution. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. Because we believe that if you grew up in a home where there's domestic violence or child abuse, and then you go out and commit the same kind of crime, maybe it's because that's the way what was around you when you were growing up. And we can help you. We can help you, especially with misdemeanor actions, get on the right path. We believe that people can be rehabilitated. It's the Christian way to do it. But when these rogue prosecutors come in and they don't prosecute people for misdemeanor domestic violence, misdemeanor drug cases, misdemeanor other offenses, family-involved offenses, and put them through a program so they can get services, they say, the hell with you. We don't care in the, in the, in the interest yeah. of being fair. So they're not giving these people the services they need, so they're contributing to more domestic violence, more child abuse, more bad criminal behavior because they're not trying to get people the, the services that they're entitled to and that they certainly should have. It's just a cruel way of approaching the human condition. Well, in the end, you're enabling bad behavior, right? I mean, I'm sure you probably grew up like I did. My dad told me many times there's consequences to actions, uh, which is basically you better do what you're told or it's not going to be pretty when I find you. Um, you know, when we don't discipline, when we don't have people get incarcerated and get into some of these programs that you're talking about, What's going to change their behavior? It's only going to magnify it and get worse and worse and worse until we're talking about murder victims uh, in New York City or wherever else we're looking at. I, can't, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's, it seems so blatantly obvious. But, you know, we have these prosecutors. We have this stuff going on, you know, to defund the police. But it's funny if you look at a city like Minneapolis, right, how many uh, city council people are hiring private security while still trying to get rid of defund the police, right? They end up talking out of both sides of their mouth. Well, they're hypocrites. Um, they're total hypocrites uh, if they're doing that. And, and you know, <laughs> let me put a finer point on my last comment and then pick up on that comment. Yeah. Um, if you've ever been to a domestic violence court, it's like no other place you've ever been or a drug court. It's like no other court you've ever been in. In domestic, in, in, in drug court, and I worked in drug court in San Diego when I was a prosecutor there after I got out of the Navy. You arrest, the police arrest somebody for a drug offense. And um, they can either go to trial or they can take a diversion and go to drug court. And they take drug court. And you have the prosecutor working with the defense attorney and the judge and the substance abuse counselor to help Johnny Stay on the straight and narrow. So he gets his urine tested once a week to make sure he's clean. He has to go out and try to find a job or stay in a job. And every week he comes back to court for 10 minutes just to check in. And if he screws up and comes back positive on his urinalysis, then he maybe goes to jail for a weekend. Then he starts back and he has to have one year's worth consecutive of court hearings. When he graduates, they literally have a cap and gown. They have the prosecutor, the defense attorney, the defense bar, the prosecutors, the judges, the court clerks, all applauding the person who made it, who got through, who toughed it out, who changed the course of his life. 
And you know what the recidivism rate is for people who successfully graduate from these programs? No, no, what is zero, almost zero. So that's hard to do. That's the hard work. These rogue prosecutors, they don't want to do the hard work. They just want to take the pro-criminal, let them out of jail free uh, approach. And they don't want to roll up their sleeves and do the job of a real prosecutor. So they're rogue and they're just pro-criminal. And it's cruel. It is cruel, cruel, cruel. And it's it's going to have to end sooner or later. Well, and, you know, people might say, well, why are you talking about this on Respect Life Radio? Well, when 73 police officers get murdered in the course of the year, innocent people being killed by uh, criminals who perhaps could have been rehabilitated if someone took the time or effort. Right. This is something that needs to be on everyone, everyone's radar. And it's not, hey, let's take the guns away because the guns are bad. You know, the other thing you have that, that, you know, I'm sure factors into this. I saw the other day that there's been enough fentanyl that has been seized at the southern border over the last year to kill every American seven times over. That's not saying everybody coming across the border is a criminal. But if you're a criminal, and you say, I can come to the United States and be a criminal and steal and kill and do whatever I want and get more. Why wouldn't I? So it's almost like we've done everything possible to make America as unsafe as it can be. Look, as as Roman Catholics and as Christians, uh, we believe in the Ten Commandments. We should be listening to uh, the readings every weekend in the Gospel. Last weekend was Luke's version of Beatitudes. Uh, And we believe that uh, many of our laws, most of our criminal laws, come from our Judeo-Christian heritage. Thou shalt not kill. You know, things like that. And so murder and rape and child abuse and stealing and robbing and burglarizing. These are Judeo-Christian, has flown through the common law uh, tradition, and these are offenses against the human or society as a whole, and they have to be enforced. doesn't mean you have to be punitive and put them in prison, because we believe people can be rehabilitated. Most can. But when you ignore that, and you tell the criminals, do whatever you want, and by the way, here's the list of crimes you can commit in my city, that's an offense against the dignity of the individual, the dignity of business owners, and the dignity of every man, woman, and child. And so that's why it's morally wrong, and that's why it's having disastrous consequences in these cities. Well, and I think really what you're talking about, and you know, just listening to you, it does really remind you, right? Christ, when he taught, was justice and mercy, right? It just can't be one or the other. It's both because that's what really shows how much we love an individual when we show them there is justice, but there is mercy. And, you know, when you're talking about rehabilitation programs and things of those lines, right, it's not punitive. It's it's trying to help somebody who probably came from a sketchy background who never heard about the Ten Commandments or what is right and wrong. And it really is when we take the justice out, we see the anarchy that follows, and that's that's what you're describing. It sounds like. Well, yeah, I mean, our 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 faith believes uh, in a number of doctrines related to uh, responsibility. Uh, we believe in just punishments, uh, but we also believe in compassion. And when you uh, throw away uh, the societal norms that we've established, not only 
through our moral compass, but through our state legislatures and tell people in sort of a Lord of the Flies approach to life, do whatever you want. Uh, it's cruel. And it, I think it's unchristian uh, because the people who are suffering the worst are the, oftentimes the people at the lowest end of the socioeconomic ladder. And they have no one to defend them. You, you, if you walk into an inner city and you walk into the bad parts of town and you talk to folks and say, do you want more police here on the block or less? They're overwhelmingly going to tell you more. That happens in every city where I've been, a homicide prosecutor or rolled out on a crime scene. They don't want more crime. They want less crime because they want their kids to have a better life. And so this will implode eventually, but it will take a lot of people down with it before it implodes. Yeah, people want a deterrent, right? I mean, that's, look, I, who knows what I would have done if I had a father who just said, hey, do whatever you want and, uh, you know, leave me alone, as opposed to one like, look, if you do this, you're going to get hammered. That that threat kept me from doing more stupid things than I already did anyway. And so people get that. It makes perfect sense. Um, you know, we're down to about the last minute and a half or so. Um, you had mentioned before we got on air that you're working on a book. What's that going to be about? Well, um, I'm going to follow up with my co-author, Zach Smith, who also was a prosecutor. And we're going to put together, we are putting together a book this year on the whole rogue prosecutor movement. Um, and we're going to talk about in detail the funding, uh, their aims and goals, uh, the fallacy of their so-called data and science that backs up their approach. And then in every one of the, we're doing eight high visibility rogue prosecutors one chapter at a time. And then we're going to end on an optimistic note and talk about the things that we think uh, we can do to defeat this uh, and get back to real prosecutors uh, in a real sense of a compassionate criminal justice system. Well, I think given real life examples and, you know, I get you could do definitely more than eight chapters with the chuckleheads we have out there, but you got to limit it <laughs> to something. Um, how can people follow what you're doing, Cully, and, and what's going on? Uh, you know, at the Heritage Foundation and other areas where you're working? Sure. Well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Cully Stimson. No P in my last name, just C-U-L-L-Y-S-T-I-M-S-O-N. Uh, but to read all of our rogue prosecutor stuff or just my stuff in Heritage, you can go to Heritage.org and type in my name or type in Heritage.org forward slash rogue hyphen prosecutors. And we have a splash page with all of our research, our scholarship, and then our blog series. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.